Round one was over. <laughs> Parents won. Kids sipped. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing. That was all started by a mouse. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Gentlemen, start your engines. Bunch of madness around here. Hello, everyone, and welcome to DDP Today, a show that's a little about us, a lot about Disney, and fun for the whole family. My name is Justin, and tonight I am joined by one of my co-stars, one of my brothers, the great Mr. Mike. How are you, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm uh, recovering from the CCMF festival this weekend. Um, it's been a couple of days off from work, which was nice. But now I have a six-day stint of working straight because I took all of those t- days off before. But um, but you know what? The end is in sight. It's coming up near because we have a great trip coming up with the Disneyland trip, and I'm looking forward to that. So as much as as much as it's kind of uh, you know sour note that I got to work a couple of days in a row, I know I have a great vacation coming up. So it's kind of like the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. Fantastic. Well, we're going to get right into it because tonight we have a very, very special show. Episode 299, almost 300 episodes, guys. Episode 299 brings in one of our absolute favorites. He has been on the show before. He is a best-selling author of The Wisdom of Walt, Beyond the Wisdom of Walt, and a brand newly released book, The Walt 100, which we're going to get into. And I am talking about the great Jeff Barnes. How are you? I'm doing well. And, you know, before I forget, congratulations on... 300. I know this is 299, but I believe in you. I believe in the show, and I know you've got another episode in you. I just know I, it. I think we'll be able to do it. You know, I don't think we've quite hit the breaking point yet. I think we're. I think we're good for 300. We'll we'll knock that one out. Uh, one, I got to say thank you. I reached out to you late last night uh, and asked you to come on today. And so thank you so much for being here. Because, like Mike said, we've got an amazing trip out to Disneyland, bringing a lot of the DDP family out that way, and it'll be a lot of their first time inside of where Walt walked oh, inside my, the Disneyland parks. My absolute favorite kind of folks are the people who have never been to Disneyland. Um, when, when I when I taught, and I still teach it, but I teach it online, um, when I taught history of Disneyland at California Baptist University, every now and again I would get a student, um, usually an international student, who had never been to the park. And when when we had our tour day, oh, I mean, that was just special and, 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 and magical. And I would imagine for you, um, you're, you're looking at, um, East Coast Walt Disney World fans mm-hmm. who, are, who are coming out to the original Disneyland. And again, the only park that Walt ever actually walked in. And the comparison and contrast are, um, it's, it's what I live for. I love it. Yeah, it's it, it's special for me because I've been multiple times. And I've said it on this show. I'm a Walt Disney World kid. Grew up a Walt Disney World kid. Annual pass holder. Live close to the parks. Um I say it all the time, and I'm surprised they don't run me out of town, Jeff. Disneyland's a better park. I just, I, there's something special about Disneyland. It'll be Mike's first time out there. And I try to explain to him the process of Disneyland versus Walt Disney World. And it's just, I think it's something you have to experience. Uh, I don't think you can really explain it to people. 
It, it's intangible. And I, I get exactly what you're saying. I grew up, um, for the most part, in the panhandle of Florida. My first Disney Park experience was Magic Kingdom, August of 74. Hmm. And I, I just fell in love with the Disney Park experience. And then when I finally had a chance to go to Disneyland way back in August of 1988, uh, I, I was underwhelmed and did not have a good experience. In fact, I hated it. Um, you know, the joke I tell in my keynote is I would, you know, rather have, you know, had a root canal than, you know, be on the Storybook <laughs> Land canal boats uh, at, at Disneyland that day. Um, but fortunately, I stayed in California and I had the opportunity to go back. And it was really my own curiosity and wanting to find out what did I miss? Why does everyone else love it? And what is it with this guy named Walt Disney? And discovering uh, he, he most wanted to be remembered as a storyteller. That's why he built the park. Again, the only park that Walt ever actually walked in and um, how he built it for the purpose of telling stories. And, and once I knew that, I, I just freaking fell in love with the place. And, you know, Disney Disneyland tells a story to include Walt's story of adversity and obstacles and resiliency in, in, a, in a way that I don't think Walt Disney World does. Now, granted, and I've written books on both, um, Disneyland was the dream. I like to think of Walt Disney World as the miracle. Uh, because, you know, Disneyland is, you know, 30 miles south of a major city, whereas, you know, Orlando was the middle of nowhere, you know, back in the in the 1960s. But nonetheless, you know, despite Walt's success at age 53 in 1955, uh, you know, no one believed in it to include his own wife and his own brother. Um, but Walt believed in it and and he made it happen. And, and it the, the park just oozes that everywhere you turn. Well, you, you kind of mentioned it, that Walt is a storyteller at heart. And everything, we say it all the time, everything that starts and ends inside the park revolves around story. And I think a lot of people go to the parks and they see it for attractions or for food. And they miss the, the point of slowing down a little bit and taking in the story that is there. And it, it's something Disney, I think, does better than anyone is implementing those storylines, even if they are, you know, a massive, uh, easy to catch story or even very, very small details that will add to an existing story. And I, I for me, that's what makes Disney special. So I want to start with the story. I want to talk about the idea of Disneyland. And you mentioned it because, you know, we look back at Walt's life and Walt was a family man. You know, he had two daughters and Really, the idea of Disneyland starts with his daughters and wanting to be a part of their life, not a spectator of their life. Yeah, and that's – wow, um, I've never said it like that. Um, I, I'm going to have to keep that line because I talk about how when we walk into the park, Walt is challenging us to be active participants in our own great story rather than passive spectators. And, and you're 100% right. Um, you know, Walt, Walt had a challenging childhood. Um, and a difficult relationship with his own father. And I think a lot of us can identify with that. And he didn't want his own daughters, Diane and Sharon, to have that same experience, despite the fact that, you know, Walt is a Hollywood movie mogul. Um, you know, he's a he's a household name. And so he set aside every Saturday afternoon to be, quote unquote, Daddy's Day. And so he would take those young girls around in Southern California 
um, sometimes the beach, sometimes the mountains, but their favorite place to go was this merry-go-round in Griffith Park near downtown Los Angeles. And if if you have a chance to come to Southern California and and time beyond Disneyland, uh, you know, I, I encourage Disney fans to do this. Go out toward Burbank and see the studio. Um, go to Griffith Park. See where, um, you know, Walt is buried at Forest Lawn and where Imagineering is, is in Glendale. Um, all of that is within a three to five mile radius. It's really, really close. It's really, really, really tight. And the girls, they're on this merry-go-round and, and Walt's just sitting on this bench eating peanuts. And he has an idea, a crazy thought. He begins to dream of a place where both the parents and the children can have fun together. And it's it's that mere thought, it's that mere idea that becomes the dream that we know of today of not just Disneyland, but every Disney park around the world today. And for me, and, 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 and this is what drives me, whether it's teaching a course, writing a book, a weekly blog, or even getting on a plane like I'm going to do tomorrow and, you know, speak to an audience with the Federal Drug Administration in Denver. <laughs> we all have ideas, but are we willing to get up off of those park benches and take action on those ideas, despite the obstacles, despite the resistance, despite the adversity? Walt was. And, and that's the difference between changing our world are just maintaining the status quo. You know, it's it's funny. I think you looked at my notes before we even got here because it's something I do want to get into is adversity. And we all face adversity in, in different moments in our lives. There's there's ebbs and flows and ups and downs. And when we talked specifically about Disneyland, this was not an easy venture for Walt. Um, he faced more adversity than probably people ever uh, will imagine or be able to understand. This wasn't just a simple task for him. Uh, he really gave up more than most ever would to achieve his goal. And so I want to know just kind of your opinion. What do you think is one of Walt's biggest achievements when we're looking at Disneyland as a park? I, I think it's the courage to go all in, which goes back to 1923. Um, and if you're a Disney fan, you know this is the 100th anniversary. You see Disney 100 everywhere. The book that I just released with a friend and colleague, Christopher Tremblay um, is celebrating the 100th anniversary of Disney as a company. But what's not being talked about is it's also the 100th anniversary of Walt's bankruptcy with Laughagram Studio in Kansas City, which also means it's the 100th anniversary of this summer, Walt boarding the train in Kansas City following that financial failure and going all in on his dream to become a successful animator by boarding that train with $40, a single suitcase, and a one-way ticket. Well, Walt repeats that all-in mindset again and again and again. He does it with Oswald. He does it with Mickey. He does it with Snow White. And he's going to do it with Disneyland. He's not just going to build another amusement park. He's going to completely revolutionize the industry by telling stories and give us a theme park and th there's a story that um, the animators, not the animators, the uh, Imagineers tell, uh, one in particular, and his name doesn't come to me immediately, um, but about halfway through construction, they go down to the park. I want to say it's a Sunday. And 
Walt is pointing out the fact that half the time for construction is gone because they built Disneyland in a year. Now, I was mm -hmm. at Walt Disney World last week and rode Tron. <laughs> Tron took, what, five and a half to seven years, right? And it took mm -hmm. Disneyland a year. Go figure. Um, they're, they're halfway through their timeline and worse, halfway through the money. Mm -hmm. And and Walt looks at this Imagineer and says, there is nothing here, nothing that I would bring anybody to spend a red nickel on to see. I'm scared. Hmm. Because at that point, everything had been spent on infrastructure. And, you know, it, 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 and, and, and it's also been said that when Walt was building Disneyland, he did not have a friend in the world to, again, include his own wife and his own brother. But he had to believe in it. He had to believe in it all the way, $40 single suitcase, one-way ticket. And even if you go back to the park bench in Griffith Park, it's not like he just got up off the park bench and said, wee, and started <laughs> building it on Monday, right? This is an idea that sat with him for, gosh, probably about 20 years before um you know it had marinated enough for him to like truly invest in it and truly start taking action you know and he disneyland is such a great representation of that still to this day in the fact of course disney is a multi-billion dollar company now but whenever you look at it walt had to build those relationships with outside companies just to fund disneyland as a whole which that for walt had to be scary in the fact that he's putting his trust into Frito-Lay and some of these companies that were brought in uh, just to fund having food in the parks. You know, he didn't have the money to have restaurants put up in the parks whenever it first started. He didn't have the money for the, um, for the shops, which is why we end up with a women's lingerie short store <laughs> on uh, Main Street USA, the Wizard of Bras, um, which was the first store to close, by the way. Um, it went bust, lack of support. Ah. <laughs> um, it's why we end up with non-Disney restaurants, i.e. Uh, the Mexican restaurant Casa de Frito sponsored by Frito-Lay. It's why the first Disney hotel, the Disneyland hotel, wasn't run by Disney. It, it's given to his friend, Jack Rather, um, by way of a 99-year lease um, Hilton didn't want anything to do with it. Marriott didn't want anything to do with it. Sheridan didn't want anything to do with it because again, they're all convinced that the park's going to be bankrupt, shuttered and forgotten in six months or less. And even to get Jack to do it, Walt has to get down on his knee and beg with a tear in his eye. Um, and, and, and Walt's going to spend more than $17 million to get that dream open on July 17th, 1955. And even then, he can't afford the shops, the restaurants, <laughs> or even the hotel. You know, and even as we look back, Walt is, even as a lonely moment it must have been for him in that, Walt always was kind of ahead on the curb on most things. Uh, we just, on the last episode, were talking about Walt's relationship with space. And, you know, you, in 1955, have the uh, Disneyland show come out with Man in Space, you know, yep. the uh, almost 45-minute uh, journey into space. And this is six years before we put a man into space. Mm -hmm. um, Walt also, you know, there were theme parks around the country, uh, but not like Disneyland. Walt, his ability to innovate and be ahead of his time is what I think puts him 
as such a historical figure. And do you think in that you talked about how lonely it is? Can you imagine, Jeff, in that time frame, what it took? Um, you know, raising money. I mean, it, you know, it's really incredible the type of person he is to be able to set it all aside and say, "Nope, this is my dream, and I have one focus on it, and and I'm going to point. I'm going to point north, and this is the only way I'm going." I don't think most people um, have the ability to kind of lock in like that. I know I, you know, I probably don't. And we can use Walt to learn those lessons in life, and I think that's something you do so well through your classes, through your speeches, through your books. I mean, I've read. The Wisdom Walt and Beyond the Wisdom Walt. And if people have not read those, go pick those up right now. They're absolutely incredible. You can click the link below and go over and get one of those today. But, Jeff, what is it uh, a day in Disneyland do you think people should look at and try to take individual stories from Disneyland? Wow, great question. Um, I, I think, for me, it all starts on Main Street. And the way in which Walt, as a producer director in Hollywood is getting us to appreciate uh, the importance of an opening or a first impression and at the same time uh, a lasting impression and you know he sent employees of wed what we would call an imagineer today to an amusement convention in Chicago around 1952 and they showed amusement park operators what Walt was thinking, what Walt was designing with Disneyland, and they all hated it. I mean, they mm -hmm. just all said that it was going to be a complete and total disaster. And their biggest issue, their biggest complaint was Main Street. You don't have a single entrance in and a single exit out of an amusement park, and you certainly don't charge admission um, basically a $1 cover charge before you had a chance to even do anything. And oh, by the way, what's with all of this theming and architecture and landscaping and flowers and gardens and, and, and plants? And I mean, if you look at, at, at Main Street, because again, most of the revenue is going to come from the 10 to 35 cent rides that are deeper into the park. Main Street's not going to generate any revenue. Like, like, like it's, it's a complete and total waste, but Walt's setting up the story and he is giving us that first impression. He's giving us that lasting impression. And I think most importantly, and this has really hit me in the last couple of years, he gives us a reason to follow him. And, and I do a lot of leadership presentations and I ask people, how do you know that you're a leader? And, and I get amazing, lengthy definitions. But the bottom line is you only know that you're a leader if and when you have followers, hmm. right? The, the rest doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your position is, your title is, where you follow in the org chart, your degree. None of that matters. You are only a leader if and when you have followers. And Walt's only going to make it if he can convince us to follow him, i.e. go deeper into the park. Well, it's great that we've gone through the turnstiles. It's great that we've even bothered to show up at Disneyland. It's great that we're standing on Main Street USA, but the critics are going to be right if we don't go deeper, if we don't follow Walt into his dream. And so he gives us a reason to go deeper, and that reason starts with Sleeping Beauty Castle at the end of a turn-of-the-century American street. Hmm. 
Now, now think about that for just a second. Like, like we love Main Street USA. We love the whole story of, you know, caught between the the gas lamp and the electric lamp and, you know, the horse and buggy and the automobile, right? We, we, we love that whole bit. But how many of those streets had a castle at the end? <laughs> None, right? <laughs> I mean, I've been to Marceline. I've done lectures at the Hometown Museum multiple times. There isn't a castle at the end of the main street in Marceline. But we can't get down there fast enough. And so Walt is incredibly unique, not only in his storytelling, but the way in which he has a foot in the past and a foot in the future. And he gives us a reason to follow him, a compelling reason to go deeper into the park. And then once we get down there, Ooh, we get all sorts of choices, whether it's Adventureland, Frontierland, Fantasyland, Tomorrowland. And um, and at that point, it's 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 game on. And so for me, um, you know, it, it's just it's just rife with story. And then lastly, and I think this gets missed as well. Um, you know, Walt, you know, Walt's just this big kid and Disneyland is the toy he never had during that impoverished childhood. And again, difficult relationship with his father. The only happy years came when he was living on that farm just outside of Marceline. And I think um, the, the saddest moment in Walt's childhood was when the farm failed, they sold it and they moved to Kansas City. Um, it just broke that little boy's heart at the age of nine. Well, there's a lot of conversations today about the importance of vulnerability. Well, what it means to be vulnerable is to lean into the wound. Walt leans into the wounds of his childhood by giving us Main Street USA, which aren't just his memories, but the perfect memories of Marceline, Missouri. Does so it, uh, again, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Jeff. Yeah. Like he's not just showing us examples of leadership. He's showing us examples of vulnerable leadership. Does it, uh, you know, I always talk about this. Does it ever, when you watch people, especially if they're new to Disney and they, you kind of mentioned it, they get to the end of Main Street USA and I just want to grab them and just go, slow down, slow down, <laughs> look around, look at the stories that are here. You know, that's what Walt did so well. And you put that so perfectly. I never thought of the fact of having either Sleeping Beauty Castle or Cinderella Castle at the end of Main Street and how random and weird that is. And people know my love for the term weenie, you know, where Walt's drawing you back into the stories and the fact that with the hub and spoke design, you get to choose your story. You get yeah. to choose which way you're going to go. You know, you'd mentioned Walt's childhood and we're eventually, we're just going to chat Disneyland Park here in a little bit. But I, I, now that I have you, I love chatting about this stuff. You mentioned Walt's childhood and we talk about Elias and how hard he was and strict on the boys um, and I, you know, I, yes, I think Walt looks back at, especially his days in Kansas city and the paper route and, you know, sleeping in the snow because he wasn't able to sleep and playing with other kids, toys and, uh, all that kind of stuff while he's on the road. But without Elias, I don't, you know, that work ethic is second to none. And I think it may be later in life. Walt hopefully realizes that. Um, and it's the importance of taking, like you said, from your childhood and bringing it into the parks because, we get Disneyland because of the hard times. And I think that's a good lesson, Jeff, for most people out there is, hey, if you're going through something tough right now, there's a, there's a, there's light at the end of the tunnel, and eventually you grow and you build on it. And I'm sure that's something you use in your presentations all the time. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, for me, it's all about story. And I would hope that every one of us wants to live a quote unquote great story. Well, what is a great story? It's not happily ever after ending. We think it is, but it's not. Great story requires conflict. And stories, why we read books, is why we go to the movies. It's what keeps bringing us back to the parks over and over and over again. Most people are bored with their lives, which really means they're bored with their stories. And the reason is because they're not doing hard, difficult things is because they're not willing to embrace conflict. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely. It's it's something that I took from your books when I read them years and years ago. I uh, still have them sitting right behind me on my on my Disney bookshelf here. And they're incredible. Go over. You can check out all of Just books at Wisdom of Walt, thewisdomofwalt.com, which that link's right below. Let's talk about Disneyland, because uh, the reason I wanted to have you on was to you, know, you. You are in Disneyland quite a bit. But you're also experienced with Walt Disney World. The people who were bringing out on the DDP Today trip, uh, most of them have never been to Disneyland, and they've never been able to experience this. I'm how salivating. I know. How important <laughs> do you think it is as a Disney fan for every Disney fan around the world to make the pilgrimage to Disneyland? I, I think it's absolutely critical. Um like, I think you can be a Disney fan and a, a Disney park fan and and miss Walt Disney World. I don't think it can be the other way around. Like, I, I think it's that important because, again, it's the only park Walt ever actually walked in. And yes, I know it's smaller. And yes, I know you can you can't see Sleeping Beauty Castle until you're through the turnstile and through the tunnels and standing on main street USA. And yes, I know that Walt Disney world is a 150 times bigger. I, I, I get all of that. Um, but again, Disneyland was the original dream and people don't realize this. Like, like even if you're not into Walt, even if you're not into the dream and the story, like, let's say you're just an attraction person and you're like, I, I, I want to do the Disney attractions. The two parks here in California have more attractions than the four in Florida. And typically attraction versus attraction. And, and you know, comparison is the thief of joy, but I just can't help myself. We have the better attractions here in California. hundred mm-hmm. percent. I, I say it all the time. All the time, I say every attraction in uh, Disneyland DCA is better than Walt Disney World, except for one, and that is Splash Mountain. And both are down right now for refurbishment. So right now, every, I try to explain. Mike loves Pirates of the Caribbean. Loves it. I mean, that's his like his jam. And this is what I say: If you have only ever ridden it at Walt Disney World, you've never actually ridden it. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. I tell you, you know, it's interesting too because even Blue Bayou, you're a part of the story. You're a part of the attraction as you ride through, and I think that is so interesting the way they do it uh, with Disneyland. The one thing I love, Jeff, and and I I think this helps with the story a little bit. I like that it's small. I like the fact that I don't have to get on a bus or get on a you know in a in a minivan or a gondola, and you know 
I oh. like the fact that I can I can have one story and five minutes later have a completely different one. The first time you park hop in three to five minutes, you're <laughs> going to think about your life in a completely different way. Yeah. <laughs> you just are. Or the first time you exit a magic kingdom and it doesn't take an hour and a half, again, you're going to rethink your life in a completely different way. Yeah, it's one of those things for me. I love being able to stand in Disneyland, get off of Haunted Mansion, walk 35 paces, and be on Pirates. I mean, it's it's fantastic. Um, so, and, and, and there's something else about that. Um, Tony Baxter, I believe, it was the one who said this. Disneyland hugs you mm. while Disney World swallows you. Mm -hmm. I'd rather be hugged. Yeah. And in, in terms of story... It's just tighter at Disneyland. And, and I mean that in a good way. Now, yes, it can be more crowded, not necessarily in terms of lines, but just moving from point A to point B. Um, but, you know, it, it, it tells a tighter story. The, the narrative is, um, you know, just more, more succinct. And, you know, you, you, you can figure out what's happening and, you know, why it's happening and exactly what's what's being told. It, it, Fantasyland alone. And granted, you know, Fantasyland was completely redone in 1983 to the tune of $55.5 .5 million. And $55.5 million goes a long way. But just Fantasyland fantasy alone at Disneyland will convince you that this should be your home park versus all of this unbelievable space at Magic Kingdom, so much so that they've got to take these fake castle turrets to fill in the open areas. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and new fantasy land. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've gone to Magic Kingdom in the last eight to 10 years and don't even think about going back to where Little Mermaid is, Beast Castle, all of all of that. It's just not even a part of my thought process. Oh, it's the yeah. it's the land of meltdowns. I feel like at uh, it, you know, in Magic Kingdom, I it's it is so like you said, spaced out so large and just strollers uh, everywhere. I just don't feel like it's that way in Disneyland. I also feel like, and you you would know better than anybody. I feel like Disneyland's more spontaneous um, with characters with oh uh, gosh, yes. magic given you know by cast members to guess. I just feel like it's a lot more spontaneous and not as planned. Oh, that's that's absolutely true. And you know, we had an experience last week where um, we were at Magic Kingdom, and we had we had a virtual queue for Tron. But for like they they don't tell you the estimated time for when that queue will become available, so we were like just having to guess, but didn't have a baseline for when the guess would be. We had a two o'clock reservation for Yak and Yeti over at Animal Kingdom. We wanted to get a couple of things done over there, so we leave Magic Kingdom, which is a process, right? Mm -hmm. And get over to Animal Kingdom, which again isn't the closest park by any stretch of the imagination and forget because we're in California where you can park off at 11. You can't do that until oh, two no. o'clock yeah. in Florida and we're not getting anything done before our Yak and Yeti reservation at two o'clock because you can't park hop until two o'clock. Um, and, and I'm sorry, like we're not rookies. And, and I just looked at Lindsay and I'm like, 
how do people who come here for the first time navigate this? Yeah. And then sure enough, during our dining reservation, the window for Tron opened up. So again, like, and, and I get there, 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 there are a lot of moving pieces and parts there, but it's, it's a lot to manage and spontaneity isn't a part of the equation. <laughs> Yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, you know, as someone who's used to Walt Disney World, of course, we you know have a travel company that we take care of hundreds of guests every year, and we do this for people. You do forget that there's a lot of guests that it's it's a process to learn and a process to understand, especially as we've moved on. I want to talk really quickly about uh, Disneyland because there are things you get at Disneyland that you don't get anywhere else, and I think that makes it even more special. And I want to talk about um, great moments with Mr. Lincoln. I mean, that is the importance of that animatronic uh, on the Disney company is just, it can't be told in words. Yeah. So um, as you come into the park to the right is the main street opera house, which historically is unbelievably important because that was the very first building ever built for any Disney park anywhere in the world. Because originally that was the lumber mill and it was out of that building Mm. that they constructed the rest of the buildings for Disneyland. And then it gets converted into uh, the Main Street Opera House in the early 1960s. Today, it is home to two attractions. And I use the word attractions loosely for the second story that I'm going to tell. One, great moments with Mr. Lincoln, who, of course, premiered at the 1964-65 New York World's Fair. Uh, But he had an understudy in case he didn't work in New York. Um, And for the first couple of weeks, he did not. But once they got him up, up and running, um, he was he was pretty flawless. So in 1965, while he was still running in New York, they brought the second figure home to Disneyland as part of the 10, 10th anniversary or 10-cennial celebration and put him into the Main Street Opera House. Um, in addition, that is also where that bench is that Walt was sitting on when he first thought of a place where parents and children could have fun together. And as I talk about in my keynote, you live the life you think about. And of course, that's a Lincoln quote. And so, you know, Walt went on to come to fruition or make into fruition that thought that day of creating a place where parents and children could have fun together. And, you know, he wanted to build an attraction with all of the presidents Um, And, you know, the technology just wasn't there. And fortunately, um, uh, Robert Moses from New York uh, and and the New York World's Fair provided the resources, along with the state of Illinois, to at least get Lincoln done. And that was a monumental task. But with that technology, um, they would then end up doing the Hall of Presidents, i.e. all of the presidents, as an opening day attraction in Liberty Square in uh, October of, of, of 1971. But in between, and people don't realize this, so you, you have the Tiki Birds open in June of 63, great moments with Mr. Lincoln in 64, and then you know the Disneyland version in 65, Pirates opens in 67. So you go from birds in 63 to Lincoln the following year to pirates. It's just a massive, massive leap in in technology. And you've already mentioned this. You you might not realize it, 
but the industry worldwide, but specifically here in Southern California, that makes all of those audio animatronics possible is the aerospace industry. Because that's the only industry that is producing the materials reliable enough for those parts to run at that sort of both speed and frequency. So think about a doll in small world. I mean, how many times an hour, a day, a week, a month does does one of those mouths move? I, I mean, it's it's hundreds of thousands, if not millions, right? And the only industry where they could go and get parts with that sort of reliability was the aerospace industry, um, which fortunately was ramping up due to the space race. And a lot of that tech was right here in Southern California. As much as my daughter talks, she could be in. Uh, she could be in Small World. That's for sure. It, <laughs> mouth moves. Careful now. Um, so you talked about Small World. That is something for me as a Disney World kid, and most of everyone come out to Disney World. It seems like a lot of people skip Small World. Disneyland. I I I think you'll agree with me. This is a not miss attraction in Disneyland. Just the facade alone, correct, is so important to Disney history. Um. So it, it, it ends up in what I call the Fantasyland hallway or corridor at Walt Disney World, which I think is a real shame, um, versus the massive facade, um, which, again, is sort of a tribute to the original New York version from the World's Fair in 64, 65, brought home to Disneyland in 66. And for me, um, it's the facade, and you get to load outside of the facade, Um here in Southern California. But what really separates it is um, the decorations at Christmas. It's just hmm. absolutely stunning. Yeah, I've never been out for Christmas. I need to do that sometime. Yeah, uh, you, you need to look up what the small world facade looks like at Christmas time. One of my favorite things to do, and, and I have a really bad back, so Matterhorn isn't one of my favorite attractions at all. Uh, but riding Matterhorn during the holidays and popping in and out of the holes on that quote unquote Swiss mountain hmm. and being able to see the lights on the facade off in the distance is one of my favorite holiday activities. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it really is fantastic. Let's get into, uh, let's get into some, some kind of rapid fire. I do have one question before we get to that. Um, one I think you mentioned earlier that you went to Disneyland and you didn't enjoy it. Do you have one specific moment that you knew it caught you? Because Disney fans have that, especially if they find it kind of the Disney fans find Disney later in life, um, like as teenagers or adults, and they didn't grow up going as a kid kid. Do you have one moment that Disneyland just it was clicked and this? Yep, it's got me. I'm hooked. Yeah. So um, I took us again. What happened in 1988 was. Um, I had these expectations from when I was a kid of, you know, Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World, and I was completely underwhelmed. Um, you know, you could see the Matterhorn from the freeway. Um, the, the castle is like super, super tiny. Uh, and we walked in at like 11 a.m. on a Sunday in August. I'm wanting to ride Star Tours right out of the gate, which was the newest, latest, greatest. It's like a three-hour line. I'm not a patient person. I don't do lines. And by the time we're off that attraction, it's two o'clock in the afternoon. It's even more hot. It's even crisis. I was done, just done. Um, and fortunately, I went back three years later uh, with with a group of kids from my 
church. And the key moment in that trip, other than the fact that I had done research on the park, research on Walt, learned the backstory, the key moment was the kids, because they're teenagers, they didn't want anything to do with me, right? Because I'm, you know, 10, 12 years older. And so I have a chance to like explore on my own, look at the various nooks and crannies, figure out what's happening here, figure out what's happening there. And there was a group of trainees who were becoming new cast members. And I just sort of slipped in like, you know, I was one of them, right? I wasn't, <laughs> but I just sort of slipped in. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that you could get away with that today. Um, but this is like 1991, right? And so I just sort of slipped in like I belong with everyone else. And I heard the trainer talk about the importance of never throwing anything away that a cast member could possibly find unless you were 100% certain that it was generated in the park. In other words, if, if it was a cup, if it was a napkin, if it was obvious that it came from the park, then then that was trash and 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 you were you know fine to to discard that. Otherwise, it could be a family heirloom, it could be um a memento, it could be a, a child's toy that they had you know slept with every night of their life. And for the love of God and all things holy, you you had to take it to lost and found because you just never knew. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I mean, I, I was really impressed with that. And I ended up meeting up with the group of kids from my, um, from my, from my, from my church. And one of them had bought a Peter Pan hat and had since misplaced it. And they didn't even want to bother going to lost and found because they just didn't think there was any chance at all that it could possibly be there. And I was like, Oh no, 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 no. Like I just heard this story. I listened to the training. You have no idea how how good the odds are. And I went with them to Lost and Found, and sure enough, they had it. And once that happened, I was like, "Man, I'm hooked!" Like, wow, wow. It's because they care. We we just did an episode Lost in Disney, uh, probably five or six episodes ago, and we got into the specifics of, I mean, the the way and uh, that Disney handles some of this stuff is really incredible. I mean, the fact that my wife lost a one, you know, one of the, the Dooney and Burke magic bands, like a little bit, you know, a little pricier magic band it fell off her wrist. I thought, well, it's gone. You know, it's, it's not two weeks later, it arrived at our door. I mean, yeah. it just, you know, it's, it, it's incredible what they do. And that all stems from Walt and his, you know, he was not a guy that ever sat in an office. He walked the parks. He met the people. He, you know, would would watch and learn as a spectator and as a guest first. And I think that's really key for a lot of people who are leaders, you know, take a step back and walk and, and see what's going on around you. And I yeah. think that that will make a big difference in not only your lives or your businesses, but it's just, you can take a lot from Walt Disney. And that's what I really appreciate about your books. And I appreciate about your speeches and your keynotes. It's just really incredible. Yeah. I mean, he refused to build offices for his managers and his leads and his executives, because he was like, the second I do that, you won't leave. I need you in the park. And, you know, I really think Walt was really the world's first undercover boss. Hmm. 
you know, I mean, he stood in line for Jungle Cruise and he wrote it like every other guest. And when it was four minutes instead of seven and a half, there was hell to pay for, you know, the cast members who were shorting the guest. Well, we saw it actually just recently. You see that type of attitude, you know, when Chapik leaves the company uh, and Bob Iger comes back that next week, him and Josh Tamar are walking the parks. I mean, they're getting their hands on the product. They're getting their hands on Genie Plus, seeing how it's working. And I think that's key, I mean, to guest satisfaction and with Disneyland and all the other parks. Let's get into a lightning round. Then I really want to talk about this new book because I'm super interested. I'm going to order it. I am excited about it. Uh, Mike, I tell you what, I'm going to start with – I wrote out seven lightning round round questions. Uh, I'm going to start with number one. Then, Mike, why don't you take the next one? All right. You ready to roll, Jeff? Here we go. I am. What is your favorite attraction at Disneyland or Disney California Adventure? Other than the park bench, which I write about a lot because, again, without the park bench, you don't have the idea. You don't even have a Disneyland or a Disney park. My favorite is Space Mountain. And um, as you guys know, I've had not one but two brain tumors and have had to sit out twice, uh, two years each time. And that is the attraction that I miss the most during those two-year hiatuses. So um, Space Mountain at Disneyland is my all-time favorite attraction. What about Disney California Adventure? Oh, at California Adventure, um, Radiator Springs Racers. Love it. It it is test track a thousand times better. I mean, it's just... It's funny. when When you were talking about the attractions that are better... In California versus Florida, I was instantly thinking of Test Track versus Radiator Springs Racers. Um, and in fact, I mean, I love Pandora World, Cars Land. Oh my gosh! Like, 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 you don't even need to get on Luigi's or Mater or even Radiator Springs Racers. Do it, but just looking at Radiator Springs Racers. Um, if, if, if you've never been, you're, you're not prepared, especially at night. You mentioned at night. I love when they light it, Jeff, like when you're there and they, it all clicks on, it's like, you know, taking you back to that old 1960s, you know, town on, you know, it's just, it's incredible. Well, and, and I would challenge your listeners, especially those who are coming out next month, listen to James Taylor's Our Town from the Cars soundtrack before they ever get here. Because that will put them in the mood for Cars Land before they come. That's no, the requirement. I can't wait. Space Mountain better than Disneyland, too. I'll just throw that in there. Yeah. Although, <laughs> um, although Lindsay would argue with you. She loves Space Mountain at Walt Disney World. She went to Walt Disney World for the first time in October. She's been four times since. And she probably looks forward to that more than anything else. She's wrong, but... Yeah, it's, it's her favorite. It's not. It's not right, but it's okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> we all have the right to be wrong. What do you got, Mike? All right, very cool. You know, I've I've heard a lot of people say what their best snack is. I want to hear it from your mouth. I kind of think I know where you're going to go with this. Uh, I'm looking forward to trying this when I go out there too. Uh, it's, there's a few snacks that I heard are always better. I know you're a big fan of this, so I'm going to say, what's your favorite snack out in Disneyland? Well, my favorite snack just go to is the Mickey bar. And believe it or not, I really and I I did an event for Nestle and and they confirmed this 
the Mickey bars are better in Florida because of the humidity. Hmm. They they melt quicker, and so the texture is better as a result. Okay. Uh, so, but you know, having said that, um, and again, this is a Cars Land reference. The uh, root beer floats at the Cozy Cone Number Two across from Flows are to die for. Okay. There you go. Yeah, that's yeah. We, we, everything. Everything eventually on this show revolves back to food. Like it's just the way. Like, well, why would it not? It <laughs> always, right? it always comes back to food with us. Uh, all right, here, favorite memory in the parks. Your favorite memory in the parks. Ooh, favorite memory in the parks. Um, you know, I. You, we're talking about resiliency and adversity, and um, you know the last couple of years have been hard, really, really, really hard. And um, I was there a year ago, March, and I was sitting on a bench next to the rivers of America, and it was just one of those nights where, you know, the weather was right. And the Mark Twain was coming around the bend. And, you know, I was, I, I was, you know, in, you know, I was home. You, mm -hmm. you know what I mean by that? Mm -hmm. And I had this sense of peace that, you know, that it was all behind me, you know? And, and it was, it was okay to like pick myself up and start moving forward. And it was, it was all going to be okay again. Isn't it? Isn't it funny how most, when you talk to people, most people's memories that come to them aren't the, it's not an attraction. It's not a specific meal. It's a moment like that. Yeah. You know, it's a moment of realization and living in the moment where you go, I, everything's fine. That this is, per, this is my perfect peaceful moment. I mean, me, mine is holding my daughter when she was two. And wish, listening to wishes, and watching wishes, and her, I could, I could barely hear, but she was just barely singing "Starlight, Star," and I just, I'm weeping, I'm weeping in front of Cinderella Castle. I mean, just weeping. It's always those memories, and I think that's really what makes Disney different, yeah, than really anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, I think another really good memory for me, um, you know, when I would teach the class at the university. I, student after student after student, I would hear this every every single semester. You know, they would have families that had been through divorces, domestic violence, health. I mean, you name it. And they would say, no matter what, we would we would have our Disneyland passes, and it didn't it didn't matter what mom and dad were going through. It didn't matter that they hated each other or that they had gotten a divorce or, you know, like we still managed to have our family day at Disneyland. And that was sort of the thread that, that held us together. Not, not, nothing else did, mm -hmm. but the, but the park did. And, yeah, it's um, sense of normalcy for a lot of us. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing, um, and it, it was, it was really, really interesting. Um, there were certain students and they would bring, like friends and families and moms and dads and brothers and sisters on tour day. 
the amount of tradition around you got to enter in on the right and you got to exit out on the left. Like there was no varying from that, like none. <laughs> it was like amazing. Um, and, you know, I, there is no other place in Southern California that has that amount of tradition and bond and loyalty, just none. Yeah, that's that's what makes it different. What you got, Mike? Uh, what's your favorite Disney character to see wandering around Ooh. the park? Who? Okay. Yeah. Um, I gave my sister. Um, she's seven years younger than me, and and we're we're close. And and she's really helped me through the last few years, which again have been really challenging. Um, I gave her a Winnie the Pooh 47 years ago, and she still has that um, that stuffed animal to this day. Whenever she comes out to bring, whenever she comes out to visit, she brings him. And so whenever I see Winnie the Pooh in the park, I, I think of my sister, Dina. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, this, done, this I'm a, of course, I always go off topic. I'm super excited. Uh, Last step, two episodes ago, we did Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Oh, they 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 haven't done it. They haven't done it. And we talked. You brought Pooh up, and you know that's we of course get Winnie the Pooh when Mr. Toad's closes here at Walt Disney World. Um, no, do not get me started. It's. Do you like it? You like you're Mr. Toad's fan? Oh gosh, of course. Like love it. Yeah. So um, we have the three original dark rides still here in California. Um, Snow White, Scary Adventures. Even though that was recently updated. Mr. Uh, Peter Pan's um, flight and Mr. Toad's wild ride. And I have said uh, the only two things that would cause people in Southern California to really get passionate and like lose their mind would be if they changed those three dark rides or if In-N-Out Burger were to shut down. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the only thing because those are the only two things we care about. And the way in which they got rid of Snow White at at Magic Kingdom or Mr. Toad, it would it would just never happen here. It 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 just it just wouldn't. And I I have a Mr. Toad um shirt, which is vintage from Magic Kingdom 1971. That's cool. And I get complimented on it, and I get complimented on it in Florida. Like I wore it last week on my Walt Disney World trip. And I think it's ironic that I got it in Florida as part of the 50th anniversary collection. And I have had people ask me, that's a really, really cool shirt. What is it? Like, yeah. it's just sort of sad, right? They, yeah, because they have, especially for people who either they're younger or they just didn't find Walt Disney World till later, you know, you get to go hang with the Heffalumps now and you don't get to, uh, you know, you don't get to see Mr. Toads unless you head west. Well, I mean, we're coming up on 30 years. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I'm excited for them. That's that's going to be my biggest takeaway from this trip is I'm going to be that little kid, Jeff, where I'm just watching their expressions, you know, where they're having these first time uh, experiences. Because when you're a passionate Disney fan, you don't get a lot of Disney first. And that's the fun part for me. That's when I get really excited is to see someone else having that that moment, that one moment that goes, that's it. Well, I love it. And, and think about it. Walt wanted to create a place where parents and children could have fun together. And I don't know that anything 
symbols that more than the dark rides or Casey Jr. and the Storybook Land Canal Boats. Mm -hmm. Storybook Land Canal Boats and Casey Jr. don't exist in Magic Kingdom. And Disneyland has five dark rides. What are there? One or two? What are there two in Magic two? Kingdom? You've got yeah. Peter Pan and Pooh. That's it. Yeah. So again, don't get me started on Fantasyland at Magic Kingdom. Just don't. <laughs> well, speaking of Fantasyland, what is your favorite land in the parks? Ooh. Um, well, I mean, Fantasyland before 10. After that, it's Strollerland. Um, favorite land? Um, New Orleans Square at, at Disneyland. Um and World Showcase at Walt Disney World. Hmm. Like Love I would, both. if God forbid I ever moved to Florida, and that's a weather comment, um, I would have a pass just so I could walk World Showcase every single night. Yeah. Yeah, we, I mean, when we go to Epcot, Mike will tell you this, a lot of times my daughter knows we don't ride a lot of attractions. I, I am not a, I, Disneyland's different, we'll rope drop there. But we're a 3 p.m., 4 p.m. go to the parks kind of family. We're not a, you know, rope drop to close. Um, so it's, yeah, I, I'm with you 100%. It's, it's yeah. just, an, it's, it's an incredible experience to be able to walk World Showcase. And New Orleans Square, another first. People are going to get super excited about that. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, first of all, um, you know, opening New Orleans Square was Walt's last public appearance at Disneyland. And the way in which he had it built, A, to give Lily a reason to keep coming to the parks hmm. um, because she loved antiques. And, you know, his original ploy was to throw the grandkids into the parades, but the grandkids were getting older, so they were a little tired of it <laughs> at that point. So he gives um, her New Orleans Square, which was their favorite American city, and he builds her a replica with an antique store um, hoping that that will give her a reason to keep coming to the parks. And then the other reason, which a lot of people don't realize, is um, New Orleans Square was a little bit of a higher elevation, and they were getting ready to build the first tower at the Disneyland Hotel. And Walt was concerned that you would be able to see that tower from Frontierland, and hmm. that would break the illusion of the Magic Kingdom. And so he wanted New Orleans Square to serve as a visual buffer between the tower and and frontier land interesting always thinking ahead i yep. love it uh, walt would never do that <laughs> <laughs> what you got mike i got uh what do you prefer phantasmic or world of color phantasmic and i mean i love world of color um i think technologically it's absolutely amazing but I, I'm a story guy, and I think Fantasmic tells an amazing story. And again, um, if you haven't seen Fantasmic at Disneyland, I, I don't know that you've truly seen it because it's 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 organic in the Rivers of America versus sort of contrived in an amphitheater at Hollywood Studios. No, it's it's so we're all bummed because it's down while we're there. It's not going to be not going to be up and running uh so it'll give everyone another reason to go back to disneyland uh sooner than later that was the first thing my wife said there's something really special about it in the fact that it's just 
there. You know, it's outside of Pirates. It's outside of Haunted Mansion. You know, you're whenever I've done it, actually sitting right over my my head over there is the you know the little padding that they give you because I always do the dining package you right. know to where you have somewhere to sit. But Fantas- and Fantasmic's my favorite nighttime spectacular at Walt Disney World. It's better in Disneyland. The the pirate ship, the like everything about like it's just well, it's I mean, incredible. It's, it's it's the real Mark Twain. It's the real pirate ship. It's mm-hmm. not it's not a prop. Yeah, yeah. But World of Color is. We're actually doing the World Color Dessert Party. Uh, World Color is amazing. Yeah, right, that's like, really cool. Yeah, I mean that's that's not to say that World of Color isn't great. Phantasmic is just better. Do, you, do this? It's weird to me though. They haven't taken the popularity of World of Color and implemented it in Animal Kingdom. It they is have tried and tried and tried to put balloons and floats and everything that doesn't work. That's a great spot for to put World of Color right there. You would think. I wonder if um, it had like. I wonder if it's um, too much for the animals. Maybe all the sound and everything. Yeah, the yeah, sound. I don't know because for the longest time they really um, and like you know Animal Kingdom and and that's probably my favorite part of Pandora is it finally made Animal Kingdom an evening park. Mm-hmm. It's great at night, uh, but you know for the longest time they were like, yeah, we don't want to be open that late out of respect for the animals. Yeah. No, I, I've always thought that. I'm like, they, they've always, you know they're striving to put something there that would work and do World of Color, but base it around Animal Kingdom, base it around Walt's passion for animals and, you know, his his love for animals and oh, yeah. uh, and make it incredible. Yeah. Um, I mean, the original vision for Jungle Cruise was it was going to have live animals. So every time I'm on the safari, I think of what Walt truly wanted with Jungle Cruise and that that vision was finally fully realized. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's it's that is why we have Animal Kingdom, which, you know, we were talking about it. What a venture. You talk about really trying to do something extreme is to build a theme park and a zoo all together. It's, it's just absolutely incredible. Uh, last but not least, this one's easy for you. If you don't know Jeff, right, Jeff is an amazing speaker, amazing author, uh, I'm gonna say Disney historian. I mean, Jeff. Jeff knows the ins and outs of so much, but the one thing he knows more than just about anybody I know is ice cream. And I want to know what is your favorite ice cream flavor to enjoy while you're at Disneyland. Which well, let me say this, Jeff. I'm lactose intolerant, and I love ice cream. So oh, wow, that's sad. I live vicariously through you and your pictures and all that. So uh, it'll be good for, for people to know where to go get ice cream once they get to Disneyland. Well, again, I, I like the Mickey bar, which is a combination of the dark chocolate and, and, and the vanilla. And then the root beer float at the Cozy Cone, which is the, you know, the root beer and the, the vanilla you know, soft serve. But I'm going to throw out a third option. There's a place in downtown Disney called Salt and Straw. And hmm. that's an ice cream company that originated up in the Northwest. And they have flavors and concoctions that you would not think were even possible. Absolutely unbelievable. So um, if if you have a chance to get out of the parks, head into downtown Disney, which is about the 10th the size of Disney Springs. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I say that as an encouragement, because in order to go to Disney Springs, like that's an entirely different venture and can be like overwhelming right 
like there's lime and orange and like all these park like no you can <laughs> you can like like I'll leave Disneyland go have lunch at downtown Disney and come like you can do that on the monorail out of Tomorrowland it, yeah. it's very 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 doable um you can run over to Salt and Straw and and grab some really 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 interesting ice cream yeah, we uh, it, so everyone. I'm gonna say, uh, you know, everybody says the Walt Disney World bubble. Everyone's staying in the Disneyland bubble that's coming out, um, minus our locals that are gonna be coming to join us some of the days. Uh, and so that's the nice part. I've tried to tell them. I'm like, you could be in your hotel room at Paradise Pier, Disneyland Hotel, Grand Californian, and you could be enjoying a margarita or an ice cream at Downtown Disney in ten minutes, maximum ten minutes. Yeah, I mean, to me, the the comparison is um, the Disneyland Resort is probably similar in size, scale, and scope to the Universal Resort in mm-hmm. Florida. Yeah, yeah, that's a great uh, with City Walk and the Universal and yep. Islands. It's pretty the much parks. the same. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah. Uh, before we before we close up, I want to talk about this new book because I saw you posted uh, this brand new book with uh, your co-author and your friend Christopher Tremblay, The Walt 100. What brought you to write this and tell me a little bit about it? So um, every Wednesday, uh, I have a free Wednesdays with Walt email slash blog. Um, it's it's just weekly, um, you know, inspiration and motivation available to anyone. All they have to do is go to my uh, 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 Wisdom of Walt uh, website, sign up for free. And, you know, I'm always looking for content, right? I'm always mm-hmm. trying to figure every week, what am I going to write? What am I going to write? What am I going to write? And so back in March, I decided to come up with Okay, well, you know, it's the 100th anniversary. What if we did 100 fun facts about the Disney company? Because, again, it's the 100th anniversary. And the thing that's really interesting when you're producing weekly content, I'm sure you guys see this, like you have no idea what the response or reaction to any show is Mm -hmm. going to be, right? Like All the time. like, Like you think this one's great and nobody cares. And you think this one's a dud and everyone's like, oh, my gosh, it's like the best show, right? <laughs> I mean, good luck figuring any of this out. So I, I did this um, this Walt 100 and people were like, oh, my gosh, this was great. Oh, I didn't know. And, and I think the other thing is, like, for me, like, once I find something out or once I put, like, I just assume everybody already knows this stuff. And... Um, like, I just didn't think it was that big of a deal. I'm just trying to, like, live to another Wednesday, quite frankly. And um, and then Chris reached out to me. Now, he works at um, a university in Michigan, and he and I collaborate every, su- every summer. Um, he does a Waltz pilgrimage tour mm, where he okay. takes students from Michigan and then takes them to Chicago and then to Marceline and then to Kansas city and then to Burbank and then to Disneyland. And every year I end their um, summer trip by giving them a tour of Disneyland. And he's like, Oh my gosh, this is great. What would you think if we collaborated into turning it into a, a, a book? And, you know, and he's got, um, you know, several books himself and he was like, yeah, I'll, um, you know, I'll put it together and, um, you know, add a couple of facts and, you know, blah. and I was like, you know, cause I've got a, I've got another project that I'm working on. And I'm like, 
yeah, if you want to take it and run with it, fine. And I didn't really think anything of it after that. And then the next thing I know, this Walt 100 book ends up in my email. And um, I I sent it to my editor and bam, here it is. And it, it really is a celebration of 100 fun facts. Um, and and it's, it's, it's about the company. It's about Walt. It's about the parks. Um, you know, it's about the studio. It's about the movies. And it's it's really just a way for any Disney fan to just celebrate 100 years of a company that um, we love and a company that I think um, has had a major impact on on all of our lives and 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 all of our families. I I'm so excited to read it. This is right up my alley. I love this stuff. And trust me, I know we know how you feel when we're every week, uh, you know, we say we'll record Tuesday night and it's a Tuesday afternoon. And we're like, what are we talking about tonight? Uh, So we're just the monster that has to get fed, right? (laughs) It's we've only missed in five years. We've only missed, I think, three weeks total. Um, And so it's and you know, this is what you know, it's consistency is key. And as long as you as long as you keep putting it out and you keep it fun and you try to keep it informative and you hope people enjoy it and it is it's funny how michael tell you we'll we'll get feedback and we'll we'll get off the show and we'll go man man we nailed that one that was a great show won't hear a word and then there'll yep. be a show we'll go off the rails and we'll talk about something you know that we just random and all of a sudden people come out of the woodwork i mean just getting emails and calls and you know messages and stuff so uh but that's something you do so well with your writing and with uh your website but i want to talk about one more thing and then i'll i promise i'll let you go you came up with this concept and i think it's extremely original and extremely creative and that is these workshops these digital workshops uh on the website um tell me a little bit about them because there is a disneyland workshop that you do so are you talking about my history of disneyland course i think that's what it is let me yeah, yeah. it's 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 uh it's it's under workshops and i guess you have a tour of disneyland uh virtual okay. tour of disneyland no, yeah yeah so that's something different so um so yeah my main job these days is traveling the country the world giving keynote presentations where mm-hmm. i leverage Walt's story and the stories from the parks motivating and inspiring uh, audiences to, you know, change their mindset, go out and live their own great story. But then I also do training whereby I um, take audience participants, and it's very interactive, on a virtual tour of Disneyland. Mm. And we talk about leadership and we talk about customer service and we talk about personal growth and personal development. And, um, you know, we, we start right on Main Street, USA. And, you know, we, we, we talk about, you know, what, what your guest experience is in the parks and, you know, what's happening on a day-to-day basis that has made your guest experience so amazing and so magical. But then most importantly, what you can take home from that as a souvenir to improve your life, your business and see your own goals and dreams come true. And, and so we talk a lot about those, you know, first impressions. Um, but I think even further, you know, when you get down to the central plaza, you know, and, and you mentioned this, um, 
Walt gives us choices, right? He doesn't micromanage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're going to do Adventureland, or you're going to do Frontierland, or you're going to do, you know, Fantasyland, or you're going to do, you know, Tomorrowland. Well, any great leader knows that they're not going to micromanage. You know, hire well, train well, let them go. And, you know, I think Walt, and I do a lot of HR work, um, Walt may well have been the world's greatest HR director uh, because he hired amazing talent, gave them the vision, and then let them go. And Walt was never afraid to hire people better than himself. Uh, Ub Iwerks was the secret behind Mickey Mouse because Ub was a better animator mm -hmm. than Walt was. The only attraction um, designed single-handedly by Walt was Tom Sawyer Island. Everything else was done by the team at WED or the team of Imagineers because Walt was smart enough to give the team the vision and then get out of the way. You know, and it's 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 so perfect because uh, it makes you appreciate the fact that he wasn't afraid to, although he's this massive figure, he's known around the world, but he wasn't afraid to take a step back and let people take leadership of their own journey and yes. that's something that i think you do so well with you know your 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 keynotes and your books and i really do urge everyone right now click that link below go get the wisdom of walt go get beyond the wisdom of walt uh jeff's stories are incredible the way he used walt stories to motivate is so inspirational so perfect and definitely ch click that link below and get the walt 100 i can't wait to read it we do a ddp today book club and this will be on the list for our book club uh, to read and to check out. And also head over, of course, to thewisdomofwalt.com if you're interested in having Jeff come and give a keynote for your company uh, or your business. It is always a pleasure to talk, to hang out with you. And uh, I am always excited to see you. And I hope to get to see you in a little over 30 days in Disneyland. I'm going to be there. I, I, I want to meet the uh, folks who are coming out. And um, you know, I love Disneyland first-timers. So... Um, yeah, I'll be there. Awesome. Well, Jeff, thank you so much, brother. We appreciate you. And uh, DDP family, you're the absolute best. And we can't wait to get together with you all in Disneyland real soon. Man, it was so great having Jeff on. Um, what, you know, what, what a great... Disney historian, like you said, I mean, he's got some really cool stories. I could, I could have a have a beer and just you know pick his brain for hours and talk Disney. I mean, that's one of those people that just just really loves the whole Disney concept of you know Walt and uh, great great stories. I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, one thing that I'm really looking forward to when we go out to Disneyland, we've talked a lot about all the differences there, is taking some of the pictures of those differences and you know comparing up to some of the stuff that I've done before. And if you have some great pictures that we're comparing to other trips, post them on our DDP Facebook page. It brings me to my favorite thing every week, because you guys post some great pictures, and that would be Picks of the Week. Picks of the Week. Picks of the Week. Justin, great picks this week. What's your pick of the week? Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, some people that I absolutely love 
and that is Lindsay Ray, Mike Jonas, and Tara McCauley. Uh, and they are down at Disney, and they're creating some memories that will last a lifetime. And uh, I absolutely love seeing it because she put, is there anything better than sharing your favorite place with your best friend? She's also our daughter's fairy godmother talking about Tara. Um, and I had the pleasure of planning a trip for Tara not too long ago, and they are just she's just awesome. And uh, Lindsay and Mike are amazing, amazing parts of this community. And I just love the fact that you guys are down there together and you're having a blast. It means everything. And thank you so much for posting all those pictures because we're able to keep it Disney in our lives through you. Absolutely love it. Uh, Mike, how about you, man? Very cool. My, my pick of the week is going to go to Nick Del Vecchio. And Nick Del Vecchio uh, stopped to meet Mickey and a couple of days ago. And the son says, Mom, Dad, you two want to get a picture? And guess what? He pulled the camera out and he took the picture. And there's a great picture of the two parents standing there with Mickey in the middle. And Mickey's pointing at him and he's taking a picture. And uh, our future photographer did a great job capturing that shot. And uh, Nick Del Vecchio, you have my pick of the week. And I'm sure that your son got a great pick. And that would be my pick of the week, too, as well. I love it. There's nothing better than uh, when they get just old enough to be able to work the camera because until then, you're not in any of the photos. I uh, absolutely <laughs> love it. Love that you guys had an awesome time as well. DDP family, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Jeff's such an incredible storyteller, um, such an incredible positive influence on the Disney community with his books, The Wisdom of Walt, Beyond the Wisdom of Walt, and The Walt 100. Uh, of course, check those out at thewisdomofwalt.com. Uh, you can go and you can click that link right below. Go to the website. And, of course, order those books. I am super excited to check out the newest book. But I'm also excited to hopefully be able to see Jeff out in Disneyland and, uh, and get to meet him finally in person uh, and thank him for everything he's done for this community because he really is a, a special, special part of the community. And we appreciate his time. Mike, dude, we're 30 days away as of right now recording. Actually, you're less. You're 29 days away from being in Disneyland. I am super excited to hang out with you we're going to have an absolute blast, brother. Let's close this thing up and get one day closer to seeing each other out west. Yeah, man. Talking Disneyland tonight gets me more and more excited. Some new cool stuff I heard about that I want to try. Uh, that root beer float's definitely going to be on my wheelhouse, something I want to check out. Um, I'm looking forward to Radiator Spring. So many things that I just can't think about, and every time I talk about it more, it just adds to my list. And uh, kind of talking about those things tonight really got my excitement up even more, and I'm looking forward to seeing everybody real soon. I cannot wait, brother. I cannot wait to see all the DDP family. Look, if you're a last-minute planner and you're wanting to come to Disneyland, get a hold of a show at awaywithmetravel.com, and we will get you booked to be out there with us. It is not too late. There is plenty of room out there in Disneyland to come out and hang out with us. Uh, I love talking Disneyland. I love talking Disney. I love talking Disney with you, Mike, and I loved having Jeff on. DDP family, I hope you have the best week ever. We appreciate you. We love you. Patron family, stick around. You're up next. We are going to have some special guests on. We're going to get a little goofy, little topics all over the place, and we're super excited about it. For everyone else, have an amazing, amazing week, and we will see you real soon. Have a good night, everybody. Have a good night. On behalf of the Disney Dads, we want to say thank you. We hope you find a little magic in your life every day, spread some Disney love, and keep moving forward. Each of us has a dream, a heart's desire. It calls to us. And when we're brave enough to listen and bold enough to pursue, that dream will lead us on a journey to discover who we're meant to be. All we have to do is look inside our hearts and unlock the magic within. Ready to begin, let the wonder.
And that's a wrap. This has been YDF Media Productions.